Hello and welcome to an all new Deep Cuts Live. I'm your host, Antoine Reed. And today, our special guest is Brandon Marsh. Brandon is the co-founder of Big Sky Cigars. So if the term Big Sky seems familiar, it's because it refers to Montana. He built a brand, basically, that's built around the lifestyle and the kind of vibe that you might get from Montana. So it's a very interesting, different type of cigar. Um, we're going to talk to him about how did he get started, uh, his history with cigars, and just where does he hope to take Big Sky in the future. So let's get to today's interview. Brandon, welcome to Deep Cuts Live. Hey, Antoine, thanks for having me on the show. Yeah, you're a first-timer, so we're up to, like, episode 129 or so, so you're uh, breaking new ground here. <laughs> well, I just, um, I'm glad you reached out to me, so thank you. Thank you for coming on, and I look forward to getting to know you a little bit more about you and a little bit more about uh, Big Sky. Cool. Oh, well, let's go. Let's get after it. <laughs> yeah, so... Um, introduce yourself to people however you want to introduce yourself. Tell people a little bit of your intro um, to Big Sky. What is Big Sky? Uh, how did you get here? Um, so Big Sky Cigar started six years ago. Uh, my friend Jess and I uh, started the business. He was out fishing and he's like, hey, I got a business idea. And he's just like, when I get back into cell service, I'll give you a call. And so he got back in and he's just like, hey, why doesn't Montana have its own cigar? And we're just like, I don't know. So we looked into it, you know, and uh, we found that there were some other cigar companies. But we, we thought, like, how could we do it different, you know, and how could we set ourselves apart from the rest? And so if you look at our brand and how it's uh, marketed, it's really an outdoor brand. We our river series is our core lines. They're named after blue ribbon trout streams in Montana that we love to fish. And so like all the marketing that we do, it kind of like uh, it either tells a story that we had when we've gone to Nicaragua, the Dominican, or it tells a story of uh, rivers that we've loved to fish or just kind of like who we are as people. So it's kind of a little bit of projection of ourselves. Yeah. It was funny. What made me pause on your brain in particular is that, uh, you know, after a long day of work, obviously I like to, to consume media and TV shows and ABC had big sky on for like three seasons. And so I was like, you know, it was like one of those Spider-Man pointing moments. I was like, this big sky. I was like, I wonder if there's like, you know, any link to it. And, you know, it was the whole Montana link and it was interesting. Um, so I thought that was, interesting to kind of build a, a brand around a region that you don't, uh, you know, you don't think of almost as being cigar country. Uh, you think of Dominican, Nicaragua, uh, countries like that. And now you all are kind of making, kind of building this whole brand and lifestyle of the Montana smoker and trying to take that out of the borders of Montana. Yeah, I, I'd agree with that. And we've done a good job with it. I mean, right now we're in 29 states, so we're just growing more nationally. And it's uh, it's been a cool experience. It's been, a, been a, it's been a tough grind, but it's been rewarding. So before we jump into all things Big Sky and cigars, um, to get to know you a little bit more, um, 
let's track it all the way back to figure out how did again, like how did you get here? So how would you describe your childhood? Like when you think of growing up, were cigars a part of your life? Like did your grandfather or your father or somebody in your family smoke cigars and that's how you got into it? Like what was that all that like? Yeah, so I, I tell the story in the last uh, interview I was on, uh, the guy's just like, well, that's a stereotypical story that I was going to guess, right? <laughs> so uh, when I was growing up, so my family, uh, my little brother is a fifth generation on the ranch up in northeastern Montana. And so growing up with my grandpa, I'd be out riding around checking cows and fixing fence, and he'd always have cigars with him. And my uncle, when they'd uh, come back, They'd always bring them cigars. There's not a real, there's not a cigar shop in Plentywood. There's not even a humidor that's really close to that part of the country. So it's just like what my uncles would bring bring back to them. So it was really a treat. And so uh, my grandpa would always share them with me. And one of my earliest memories I have as a kid, I was sitting at the dinner table and we were eating like macaroni and cheese and like pink hot dogs. Cause that's just like what we always had growing up. And, uh, my grandma was just like, hey, Brandon, what'd you do today? And I was like, oh, me and grandpa were out fixing fence and checking cows. And then grandpa gave me one of those cigars. And my grandma slammed her fists on the table. And she's just like, what? She's just, and then he just kind of looks down, you know, doesn't say anything. And so then we're out in a pickup the next day. And he's just like, now, Brandon, if I'm ever going to share a cigar with you again, like you can't tell grandma, you know, because <laughs> I was just like, I wasn't like putting down a cigar. He just like pass it over to me, you know, and just, just kind of me and him just hanging out while we're riding around. But uh, I, was, I was a pretty young kid. I, was, I don't think I was even in preschool yet. So. <laughs> so what kind of cigar was it? I don't remember the name of the cigar, but it was probably, probably wasn't a Cuban, but it just maybe like a Macanito or something like that. Okay. Oh, wow. So, Growing up, you know, I think we all have these moments as children where we're like, when I grow up, I want to be X, Y, Z. And then we usually never, most of us deviate off that path into something completely different that we never anticipated. So what did you see yourself? What did you want to be when you were growing up? And then what led you, what either led you there or what deviated you from that path? Oh, I mean, I've always wanted to be on the ranch, and I've always loved cowboying. Um, and I've just deviated from the path is that, you know, sometimes you got to make your own castle. You know, you got to make your own table. There's not enough seats at every table, so you got to make your own. And so what if I'm doing with Big Sky, hopefully, is that one day I, I can grow Big Sky into something where I can have my own ranch. Or oh, have so have have something buy some land next to a family place, you know, and just grow on to what we have now. Well, I think that's interesting for you to say because it's uh, I think of different entrepreneurs like they all have goals. You know, the most successful ones have some kind of big goal that kind of drives their actions. And you know, yours is unique because you never hear a lot of people saying that they want to, you know, be able to have this ranch, uh, the cowboy lifestyle, and stuff like that. So does that you know, that thought, does it permeate in your mind like every day? Like, do you like, I got to get up. I got to, you know, work towards this goal. Or is it just kind of like in the back of your head? Like one day it'll be nice to have this. 
Oh, I mean, it's uh, there's been some days, I, you know, with every job where you're just like, oh, screw this, man. Like, <laughs> yeah. I don't know if this juice is worth the squeeze. And then I just think about the good days on the ranch. You know, some days really suck, just like every job. I just said that. But uh, the good days out there when you're just out moving cows and it's just such a rewarding experience and you're just away from all the outside noise and it just seems like it's just a very peaceful life can be unless you got a bad horse and you get some uh <laughs> get some cows that don't want to work with you <laughs> those days always suck yeah so and i know like i said montana plays such a big part in your brand for those of us who have never been to montana what is it like like how would you describe it to an outsider like myself uh, I mean, it's weird. They call it big sky country and we have big sky cigar. And really like when you're in Montana, it's just like, I don't know what it is, but it's just like, however the topography sits, like you just seem, it just seems like the sky is so much bigger, but you know, on the East side of the state, you got rolling plains. And then when you start going West, that's when you get into the mountains. So it's just, it's got a lot of different uh, character to it. So there's a lot of different beauties that are hidden in that state. Well, that's interesting. Like I said, the, my only encounter with Montana was uh, my second college roommate. He was from, I don't want to mispronounce it, View, Montana. I think it's, it looks like Butt, Montana when you spell oh, it view. out. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That's the richest hill on earth. <laughs> Yeah, he was from there. He was a very interesting character. That's for a whole different podcast. Um, <laughs> I bet, dude. <laughs> I got some cousins from Butte, and they're they're a breed of their own. Yeah, yeah. That's, that's one of those like you and I can can swap stories at the trade show uh, about that because I was like, is everyone from Montana like this? Like this is strange. Like this is a, a character. I was just say. And that's putting it very nicely and politely. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But I, I bet he would uh, he'd give you the shirt off his back. Beat people are pretty loyal. <laughs> mm, I, yeah, that's like I said, it's a whole different story. So it was yeah. very strange. But getting back to your story. So what was your first career? Because obviously you didn't just jump straight into um, cigars. So what? did you get into uh so my dad uh he was a welder and so then i grew up uh, in the oil and gas business and so i always did pipeline construction and then I, I did a little bit working for oil companies and then i went back into construction and that's what i was doing up until last september before i went full-time big sky what was it like working in the um in the oil industry uh, it's, uh, a lot of, you know, a lot of long days and, uh, the only time you really have off is Sunday. If you do get a Sunday off and then the holidays, spend a lot of holidays in hotels on the road, you know, cause I was on projects on a different part of the country. So it's, uh, it's, you, you get really close to the people you work with. So you get like a camaraderie with your crew, but at the same time, uh, the people are are really cool, and the works uh, can be rewarding. 
but it's not what I wanted to do for the rest of my life. Yeah, you know, I, I find it strange, I guess, being a kid of the 80s, how America, like, romanticized the oil industry for a, a period of time. And uh, I think of shows like uh, Dynasty in Dallas that were all built around the oil industry. And, and <laughs> it's just, like, strange. Like, I don't know what, what if, you know, in the 2000s, what we romanticized like that. But, it, I mean... To think like every week people were, were tuning in to these shows, uh, again, built around like this, these families, you know, dealing with the oil industry in different capacities. And and it's just strange for, for me. It's, it's funny. It's like you can only you only get it if like, again, like I think if you were a child of the 80s because oil was <laughs> like everywhere. I mean, we had a pretty big boom in the Bakken. And uh, I mean, it was good. It, it able it was you're working enough to where you could put money away. And, you know, luckily I put money away and I put it in the big sky. Mm -hmm. And so, uh, you know, some people bought trucks and boats and I just saved my money and I put it into a cigar business. So that's just where I'm a little different than I guess the guys I worked with. So at what point did you think, okay, I want to take this, I have an interest in cigars, but I want to make this like into something a little bit more. I want it to, make this into a business. What was that thought process like? Well, uh, Jess and I, my business partner, we both went to business school. I went to Montana State and he went to the University of Montana. And then he was my foreman on the crew. We worked together and uh, we always throw business ideas back and forth. And, you know, we have all these, we thought would be great ideas. And then we'd, uh, get on Google and somebody already done it. Right. And it's just like, Oh, that sucks. So just, it was kind of always a, a thing where I wanted it to work for myself. And I, I wanted to, I knew I had to save up money to be able to do that. So that's just where I just wanted to have the money set aside where I finally found something I could go after it. The whole thing about becoming an entrepreneur, like you said, is, being able to kind of call the own your own shots is that freedom, I guess, that you get that you don't, you know, as opposed to working for someone else. But it comes with a lot of added stress, like suddenly things that, you, you know, you could kind of push off on someone else or like, oh, that's not my job. That's somebody else's job. It all of a sudden becomes your job and, and something that you have to worry about. So um, I'm sure business school kind of prepared you for that, but it probably didn't completely prepare you for the realities of uh, what you're going to be doing as a, a entrepreneur. No. And that's right. Especially in the cigar game. Like when we got into it, we didn't have somebody to like really to lean on to tell, to like mm -hmm. give us advice on how to move forward. So everything we did, like we had to make, uh, you know, uh, the best decision possible because we're putting paychecks into this. And like, so if something got wrong with the boxes or, you know, something's wrong with the uh, order of cigars, you know, there goes a month's worth months and months worth of work that we just set aside. And then it's just out the drain because we messed up. So we can, we can't afford to make a mistake. And I mean, we still run lean as far as our business model goes, we run very lean. And then, uh, we just try to make the best educated decisions we do every time. And so there's a lot of thought that goes into everything that we do. And we just want to make the best decision possible every time. 
that's kind of there's a lot of stress into that especially when you're like gearing up for trade shows and going and meeting with factories and it's a feel a little stressful <laughs> yeah so that's a good point though where did you turn for information because there is no like manual out there that's like how to get started you know how to build your own cigar business and you know there are magazines out there of course and they kind of give you a, a little hint or sprinkling of what it takes but at the same time they're kind of like profiles i mean they're not really like business guides so how did you find out like what to do because i think if i were, if it were me i would be lost because i'd be like even working in the industry i would be like i have no idea the first step to, to take to like create your own business besides you know getting a trademark and making sure your name doesn't conflict with something that's already out there yeah so uh really jess went down to little havana and he met with a company and they were working with a factory in Esalit called tobacco costa and they mm -hmm. made our first cigar called the yellowstone and so really it, it started with going down there blending our yellowstone cigar finding a box manufacturer in miami and we found a band manufacturer and that band manufacturer actually went out of business and so then we had to find another band manufacturer and so we had like a like a core that we were able to bring a, a product to market, but it's still, it wasn't like the most advantageous pricing, you know, cause we didn't, we didn't know everybody that, to get like the best deals and we probably mm -hmm. still don't know everybody to get the best deals yet, but the, you know, the pricing has gotten better for us cause we've gotten uh, more contacts to work with. Uh, our biggest breakthrough though was meeting Carlos Sanchez who owns Takasa when we were down in Esteli and that was just by luck. Uh, we were eating a Cuban sandwich and he was there and he says, Hey, what, what are you white boys doing down here? And, uh, you know, we're just like, Oh, we have a cigar business. And, you know, Carlos loves deep sea fishing. That's where he, that's where he made his money. And he had a passion of cigars. And so then he, when he was back in Miami, he started real smokers and then real smokers turned into a, a lucrative cigar shop. Then he made the Casa and he's just been building off of that. But, uh, so we met Carlos, he invited us to his factory. Um, we blended a, we got his contact and we came back the next time to Italy and we blended our, our Madison cigar with him. And we've been working with Carlos ever since on our cigars until we went to the DR this past year for our PCA release this year. So coming into the industry, of course you have expectations and you kind of think you, you know how something's gonna go. What surprised you the most as I guess, as from the perspective of now being a brand owner, uh, the most surprising. I really love the social media aspect of it, and the emails that we get from people that enjoy our cigars and that have a connection to Montana, and they just, "Hey, man, I just smoked this Madison cigar or Bitterroot cigar, and it took me back to when I was flat fishing on that river ten years ago with my dad." And I just want to let you know, like how 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 cool it was that that cigar brought that moment back to me in my life. And so, like, it's just uh, providing a product to a consumer and be able to like not even just having it be a great cigar, but having it to bring back a memory to them that meant something to them that much. So it's 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 a I, I enjoy that. <laughs> what part of this whole process do you least enjoy? I should say. I, don't, I won't say the H word, which is 
hate, but uh, I don't. I don't hate any of it. Um, I mean, with with building a business and you have your growing pains and developing your corporate structure, you know, uh, it just takes a lot of time and a lot of uh, thought. But what I what I don't enjoy the most is. Uh, I mean, there's a lot of stress with the trade show coming up and uh, just make, we want to make sure that you have a good trade show. You want to make sure that uh, I guess whenever there's like a human error, like say if a cigar gets rolled wrong and somebody's like, Hey man, this cigar has got a tunnel in it. And I'm just like, well, they're made by a person. So there's human error. So it's going to happen every once in a while, but we'll replace that stick for you. I mean, we want to guarantee every cigar. So I guess what I don't enjoy is like when people have a, an experience that they didn't enjoy. But. Yeah. But like you said, that's kind of hard to not, that's hard, hard to prevent when you're having that uh, handmade product. But I know that with how people are today, they don't always understand that. And they expect, expect everything to be perfect. Um, yeah. And they get very angry sometimes when it does not turn out perfectly. And then as a brand, you kind of have to manage those expectations as well. Yeah. Well, I guess what someone might also add is like when packages get lost, you know, you do everything that you can, you, you know, I do all the fulfillment. So like I make sure everything I want to make sure everything goes out perfect. And then something gets lost and you have somebody, a uh, consumer that's upset because they don't get their package. And you're just like, I did everything I could to give it to USPS or UPS and they misplaced it. And like, I'm sorry that that happened. And like, I want to do the best to like, you know, rectify the situation, but just give me a little bit of grace, please. Cause yeah. you know, uh, that, that one's a little out of my control. Yeah. And, and that does happen as well. Unfortunately, um, postal people are humans and they do make mistakes. I've had several cigar packages mysteriously go missing uh, after they claimed they they were delivered. I'm like, they weren't delivered to me. So you create this brand. How easy was it to settle on the name and then the logo? Because I'm always, my background is graphic design. So I'm always curious about like how, you know, did you just always know, like if we have this brand, it's going to be named BitSky. It's going to have like this logo. We're going to go with these colors. Like how did that come about? Uh, so the, the name, we tossed around the name for a couple of months. And finally, I just, you know, I just, I really pushed it on just, just to be Big Sky Cigar. because so I wanted it to represent like who we were from. Because mm -hmm. a lot of the other names that we were coming up with, it didn't really have like an identity. And uh, I felt like this was a name that really helped identify who we were from and helped identify like an outdoor lifestyle. And so that's where the name came from. And then the logo, um, it's actually in Big Sky, Montana. There's a, there's a resort called Big Sky and uh, it, there's Lone Peak. So our logo is actually Lone Peak so okay. the, of the Big Sky uh, Ski Resort. I know, again... Most people, when they think of cigars, they think Nicaragua, Dominican Republic, and here you are making a cigar that's built around Montana. So as you take, as you've expanded, I guess the first part of this question, when you started this company, did you think we're going to start locally or did you already have like 
expansion plans in mind? Like, did you know you want it to be in every state or did you say, this isn't, you know, this isn't going to work like this? Like, what was your approach just to kind of scaling your business? Oh, at first it was just getting into our first brick and mortar. You know, and so we got into the, our first shop was in Billings and it was called Stogie's and it's the oldest cigar shop in Montana. And then we were able to get into some more shops because people heard that we had good cigars and they were selling good because when people come to Montana, they want to have a Montana cigar and uh, our Montana themed cigar. We don't say that they're made in Montana, but it's got a Montana uh, theme lifestyle. And so um, we started getting into some more shops and talking to people around the area. And then and finally six months of being in business, uh, Pam and Scott Godfrey, the owners of Stogies wanted to retire and they asked if we wanted to buy Stogies from them. And so we were able to go like more vertical by taking over that shop and like really pushing our sales through that shop. Mm-hmm. And uh, that was really, that's a really uh, great piece for a business because we sell a lot of our own product through there and we're capturing a lot of that profit margin. Um, but when it like really the scalability part of it, um, it's just getting getting in front of people and getting getting your feet on the ground and getting into more shops, but just talking to shop owners. It's really hard to like say how to become more scalable other than just like the old school method of going and knocking on doors. I mean, because cold calls only work so much, reaching out on social media only works so much. Um, but really just the word of mouth. And like that really grassroots foundation, that's how we've really built our brand. And, you know, when it first started out, it was Jess and I, we were still working full time. I mean, he still works full time and now I'm doing this. And so now I'm able to focus more on getting into more shops uh, and going and meeting the more shop managers and owners. But in the beginning, it was just us two. And now we have uh, six independent sales reps on our team that are go from across the country. So now we have our cigars, our product getting into more shops, like visibly in across the whole country now. And so this is our first year we've had these many sales reps. Before last year, we actually had uh, two. So in the past year, we a lot of people have jumped on the board because they love our product and our branding. And they're like, hey, we want to be a part of this. So it's cool to see the momentum that we've created. So the scalability really comes with momentum and how to create momentum. Um, I I think it is, is you just really have to like stick to what your brand's core beliefs are and just really uh, following that. And, you know, like people have just the right people that connect with that connect with it. Some people don't. And I know being um, having a business school background that you probably heard of this idea of red ocean, blue ocean, which is this, you know, being doing something that everybody else is doing, which makes it harder to compete as opposed to doing something that very few people are doing. And then you can kind of own that whole territory. So when you were thinking about Big Sky, what did you kind of think of that said this is what's going to give us our competitive advantage? Like this is what's going to set us apart from the next cigar brand that's sitting next to us in the humidor? Well, I think really, uh, well, I know when I walk into a humidor and you see like our boxes, you know, we, we really have our box backs are beautiful pictures of the rivers of our core lines. And so like you walk in and you see this beautiful, uh, 
river picture and it just kind of draws your attention to it and you see our bands and we have beautiful bands and uh then you smoke our cigars and like people are coming back and smoking them again because they're good cigars and so it's uh a lot of uh, displays that i see when i go into a humidor a lot of them kind of looks very similar so we have a different uh, marketing strategy that i believe everybody else with our outdoor lifestyle brand and then we also have a couple different products. I mean, we love fly fishing. So we have what we call our Montana river box and it comes with five cigars, a dozen hand tied flies and a cutter. And we, uh, we put that in fly fisherman magazine every year and we've done that for four years now. And we just sell those all across the country through that uh, publication. So we're, we're building that, uh, I guess that following and that fishing lifestyle group. And then we're just also growing more nationally into more cigar, cigar lounges. Well, I think that's interesting what you said, too, is that you're not opposed to, you know, the more traditional ways of marketing your brand, like we print advertising. But instead of going to where, you know, everyone is in terms of like the cigar world, you know, you found a publication and an audience maybe that and, you know, and a product that you could at least put together for them, especially for those fisher pe- fishermen. Um, I think that's very interesting. Uh, it's a lesson that not a lot of companies understand or always get. Like they always want to be, you know, where everyone else is. And then it's, it's hard for them to stand out. But I'm sure in that publication, your product and company kind of are like right there. And people are like, oh, cool. Like I never yeah. thought about it. Yeah, you know, it's definitely a little niche that we're in. And, uh, you know, it's just, uh, it's been good for us and we're happy that we, we came up with those ideas and, and it wasn't, like, I mean, it's not like we put a lot of money into like developing this new product, you know, it was a 20 count box that we cut in half and we cut a couple pieces of cedar and we throw some hand, some dry flies in it for fishing. And so it's, as far as we're just reusing what we already have. And I mean, it's more labor intensive than anything when we're just reassembling the, the box. You're cool. Um, so you hear this term boutique thrown around a lot. Do you even, I feel like boutique is one of those words where I feel like it's being phased out. Like people are just in the cigar industry. You never hear I'm in the boutique cigar industry or I'm in the premium cigar industry. Like how do you approach that whole thing? Cause I know that, that some retailers in their minds when they're, considering bringing in a product they're like is this you know a big company or is this a big brand or is this a boutique brand like how much does boutique play a part in like your life and your business as you're trying to plan out big sky well i look at how to be like working in our favor you know uh, with big skies, we really get to tell a story about ourselves and we get to connect with people in different ways that, you know, the legacy brands aren't, you know, the legacy brands, they deserve the respect that they have. And, you know, what those families have done for generations is, is awesome. It's like kind of what I think of my family in the cattle business. So I have so much respect for those families and like the knowledge that they have. And, um, but we're at, like I said, what I like to try to do is just kind of, swim in my own pond a little bit to where I can make a name and base for myself. But eventually like we're going to grow big enough and we are growing big enough that uh, 
people are going to know about us. And I really think after PCA this year and the next couple of years, Big Sky is going to become uh, a national brand. So I'm yeah, excited so, for the future. So we're talking, you know, in a couple of weeks there, the big trade show in the industry is the PCA or Premium Cigar Association trade show and international convention. Um, and you're doing, doing all this planning for it. So having gone last year, what changes did you decide to make going into this year to make this a better show overall for you this year? Well, it's, it'll be our third trade show. We did TPE first and PCA last year. And, uh, you know, just having more logistics ironed out, having knowing what to do ahead so you can just do a little bit more pre-planning. So that helps out, a little less stress there. Um, having our deadlines when we need these products on hand and completed so we're not sweating if we're going to have a product for the trade show. Um, understanding more of that, uh, I guess, inventory timeline of what it takes for a product to make it from the factory up to the U.S. Uh, and we have, a, we have a good grasp of that now. We understand what that timeline is. But it's just uh, just becoming more comfortable with that process. I guess what, what we've done is, I mean, we made our booth size bigger this year. Uh, we've thought about where we could have a little bit better of a location. Um, so I, I really like where our booth is this year. Even though it's in the back, I mean, we're next to some uh, cool brands. We're next to AJ Fernandez and Principal and McAuliffe and Caldwell. So I feel we're going to have some good traffic, and mm-hmm. it'll, uh, it'll be a good show. So for you, what does a successful – trade show mean like does it is it a sales number you're trying to hit is it just something else that you're trying to accomplish oh last year at the trade show we said if we broke this sales nut number that we were all going to get ak-47 tattoos <laughs> <laughs> but uh we ended up not hitting that sales number so i don't have an ak-47 tattoo but you know hopefully uh hopefully we can make that happen this year <laughs> so um, I think a couple of weeks ago, you announced that you do have a new release coming out at PCA this year, um, Blackfoot. So what can you tell us about Blackfoot? So it's the final cigar in our river series. Um, the Blackfoot was made famous, even though it's a blue ribbon trout stream, but it was really made famous by the movie A River Runs Through It with Brad Pitt. Mm-hmm. And uh, it's the river that I grew up on fishing. Uh, it's around Missoula. And... Um, well, I can tell you about it. It's blended in the Dominican Republic uh, by uh, Master Blender Chico Rivas. And I smoked one of Chico's sticks last year. And I'd heard about it from a friend. He's like, hey, have you smoked this SP1014? Uh, he, he made it for Sanche Patel. And I was just like, I haven't had it yet. And so he, he brought me one. I was like, holy, holy shit, this thing's awesome, right? <laughs> I was like, I need to go find this guy. So when we went down to the DR, we had uh, factory visits with four factories. And we really wanted to have a, uh, and that's a cool thing too. You know, like when we first started, nobody even wanted to talk to us, you know? And now that we had a little bit more brand recognition, like people would look at our social media on our website and say, Hey, these guys, they're more, uh, they're more established of a boutique. So we had a little bit more of people's ear. Um, so we tried four different factory cigars and we ended up uh, smoking one that Chico rolled for us and we loved it. And then we made the blend for the Blackfoot with Chico. And I'm just really excited for that cigar. It's uh, 
I, I, I really, it's going to be a statement piece for us. So I was about to ask, where does it fit into your portfolio? Like I know that a lot of cigar uh, companies, they always say, you know, we have something for the beginner we have something for the intermediate and we have something for those people who just, you know, their palates are uh, indestructible and they want something full bodied that, that, you know, a beginner just couldn't handle. So where does this cigar fit into, you know, the, the grand portfolio? So we don't have a cigar that's like so full that it wrecks your palate. Um, I, I don't enjoy those cigars. You know, I like something that I can smoke throughout the day and um, just, but what this cigar is, I'd say it's medium, medium plus. It's a San Andreas wrapper with a Corojo binder and filler. And it's a, it's a, yeah, it's going to be a great stick. Oh, cool. And then uh, this year you've also had some other releases or you had Cryptid, El Professor. Uh, tell us about those. So the Cryptid is this uh, cigar that I'm smoking here. It's pretty cool. It's got this uh, really intricate band on it. See the kind of dragon scale foils and then our logo on the back. And so when I, when I designed this cigar, I wanted to do something that I had never seen before as far as like a band design. Mm -hmm. And um, so what this is, is cryptid is a creature that's known to be true, but it's never been seen. So this is the flathead like monster. And so it's like the Loch Ness monster of the U S and so it's got the, you know, like that water creature, that dragon type uh, folklore, uh, I guess, characteristics to it. So that's how I really designed the band. And I was going to name it the Flathead Monster. And then we talked to a trademark attorney and they're just like, well, Flathead's trademarked. So if you want to get sued, name it that. But if you don't, you should probably <laughs> change the name. <laughs> and so we're like, all right, well, so we'll change the name. <laughs> And so he came up with Cryptid, and it's it's a cool uh, it's a cool name because we're gonna build a line off of it of other different cryptid creatures from across the country and the world, and I feel that's gonna be a way for us to you know even become more uh, relatable to people in other parts of the country and the world. So we kind of I did this thing. I was like, hey, what are the cryptid creatures from your area? Did a, a social media post, and like people hopped on it, and they're just like, oh, like the Jersey Devil or the Rougarou from Louisiana, you know, or the Mothman from Ohio or Pennsylvania. So it's just like I can't remember all of them, but those are like three of them that I do remember. And so we just kind of build off of that, and that will be fun. But then El Professor, that's like from a story of being down in Nicaragua. Uh, Jess was leaving the factory with our sales guy, Adam, and he's, he was going to Las Panitas on the Pacific coast. And you can either cut straight down that main highway back to Managua, then cut towards Leon, or there's this mountain road that you could go through that's under construction. And so it's like a, a logging road. That's just like, I do have, has a bunch of work being done on it. And so they're going down the road and this guy is walking down the road and he's wearing a suit and a brief he had a briefcase and Jess looked over at Adam and he's like, Hey, should we pick him up? And Adam was like, uh, I don't know about that, man. Jess like, all right, we'll pick him up. So he got hops in the pickup with him or the, the little Hilux and uh, driving to, to Leon, they get uh, uh, stopped at a check stop. And so then the, the 
national police start going through the vehicle and they're like, telling everybody to get out. And then one of the guys is just like, oh, El Professor, lo siento, you know, I'm so sorry. And he looks at everybody else and says, says hey, these guys are good to go. You know, and they put everything back in the truck and we were able to go, they were able to go on their way. And uh, Jess and Adam were kind of just like, all right, who is this guy now? Yeah, like we just like we're about to get hustled and then this guy like, <laughs> let, let, let us just be like to go on and so uh, the guy told jess that he'd go up to these small mountain towns and he was a professor from leon but he'd go to these small mountain towns and he would teach uh, children uh, just formal education because they didn't have any schools so he'd go tutor them on like once weekend a month and so that was one of his that uh, police officer was one of his uh, students from like 10 years ago and so oh. thought, thought it'd be cool to name a cigar after him called El Professor. Yeah, like for people who have never been to some of these countries like Nicaragua, Honduras, like when you get pulled over by the, the national police, it's like a moment you're like, how bad is this going to be? <laughs> how bad is this going to get? So it's definitely uh, I can imagine that they ha- – having the professor help them get out of that situation was like worthy of naming a cigar after him. Yeah, no, it's a, it's a cool story. And then we have some more uh, cigar ideas that are named after uh, events when we've been on our travels mm-hmm. and it's it'd be interesting to see like what we come up with. I mean, some stuff we can say, some stuff we can't. So. Well, that's interesting. I mean, so it sounds like you already have like different collections or cigar lines that you easily can launch after this with Blackfoot closing out, you know, the first chapter of your, your company that you already know some different fun areas to go in that will help put Blackfoot. I mean, help put um, your company on the map. Oh, 100%. And uh, I mean, there's some funny stories and some, uh, some interesting stories. I'll say that. I'm sure they are. (laughs) So, you know, where do you want to take your company? Because I know I I was listening to some other podcasts that you've been on, and I know that people like to compare you to other people in the industry, or they say, like, you remind them of Rock Patel, or, you know, your brand reminds them of this or that. Where do you see yourself? Like, where do you want to take your brand? I mean, I'd love to have a national brand and, you know, and having our own factory um, in Nicaragua or Honduras with the DR. I mean, that'd be amazing. End game, really, that we don't really know how long it's going to take to get there. But just uh, I think just really building our brick and mortar footprint and just like taking care of home is what I'm really focused and just as focused on really and just creating a. Uh, creating quality products and just letting the products speak for themselves and naturally grow. Yeah. And I think that's a good approach. I know, you know, you can take what you want out of a business book, but most say if you can't figure out how to make your business work locally, that's going to be really hard to make it work, you know, on a bigger scale, like outside of, you know, that cause you're only one person and you know, there's no, we're not uh, in the future yet where we can just transport ourselves in a, in a minute, you know, to another place and, and take care of business. So, um, you know, Zooms and all that help, but I'm, we're not there yet. So um, well, I think uh, what's been advantageous for us is since Jess and I have bootstrapped this and it's all funded by us and we're complete owners of Big Sky, um, you know, we're debt free. But at the same time, like we've just built 
just different layers and they're solid layers. And then like, and every business that we see doesn't really matter if it's cigars or what we go into a boom businesses grow so fast and then they fall so fast because there's no structure beneath them. So it's just really, we've developed this structure to where like, um, you know, it's just, 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 I feel very solid and very confident with our business model at this time. Now I know why you don't want to be compared to other people. Do you have like any dream collaborations? Like do you see yourself, um, you know, wanting to work with any other companies that are out there just to see what kind of weird or great blend might come out of that work? Oh, uh, a dream collaboration. You know, it, it would be it'd be fun to collaborate with a, like a, a famous singer or a, or a rock star. You know, like what they did with Metallica. Or mm-hmm. um, it those would always be interesting. We we have a cigar with a guy named Tim Montana, and uh, he's a country rock star from Montana, and so that's been. You know, it's been great working with Tim, and we'd like to have more relationships like that. Um, I, th- I think it'd be really cool to uh, do a collaboration with a well-known, like, hunter or fisher. And then, uh, you know, like, kind of like what Chico did with Sanj Patel with that SP-1014, you know, like, getting a cigar built with, uh, with a well-known shop or lounge owner. So that's, that's kind of ideas I'd play with in back of my mind, but I don't think that's different than really anybody else. I think everybody else kind of thinks the same there. No, I think each one of those, you know, cause usually when I ask that question, they think of people within the industry. So for you, you're already thinking outside the industry, which kind of shows you know, like where your thought process is and how you approach this whole business. Because like you said, with the magazine that, you know, putting out an ad in a fisherman magazine, that's something that a lot of cigar companies wouldn't think of. Um, but you know where your audience is and you know where the potential is to grow. So I think working with somebody outside the industry would, would be interesting. And there seem to be a lot of people outside of the cigar industry that are okay with associating themselves with tobacco and cigars and uh, are willing to kind of play around in, in this whole crazy industry along with us. So I think it'll be interesting to see what you can uh, I'm sure a collaboration of, of some sort will come to you at some point rather soon. And I'll be interested to see what that cigar, you know, looks like because it's always fun to, cause you make cigars, you know, probably based on what, what you like in your palate, but then to, to have someone else completely outside of that uh, just brings a new atmosphere and new side of, uh, of a cigar. Yeah. And uh, I've, I've said this a couple times, but if you look at our cigar portfolio and how uh, our our flavor profiles and the cigars have changed, and I, I think that shows like how Jess's and I's uh, palettes have developed over time in the last five, six years. You know, the first one we made was a Yellowstone, and you know, it was, uh, it was a little spicier uh, Connecticut, but it's still, it's a very mild cigar. And then we go into a broadleaf, which was our big horn. And then we go into some more San Andreas's where we're getting more spice into it there. And now we're going to this DR stick where we have that San Andreas wrapper, but the Corojo binder and filler. So it's just a, 
our, our palates are developing, but at the same time, we're, we're creating cigars in our portfolio that we don't have that are very, uh, that have a high demand. What do you say to retailers that their customers are asking them what's new and yet they want to kind of stick to what they know? It's a, a kind of dichotomy there, uh, conflict. So they stick to the brands that they know and the people that they know and new brands like yours come along and even like a, a one box in, in the humidor. So what do you say to those retailers that they, they see you? They're going to see you at the trade show and yet they're, they're still like, I don't know, should we bring this in or not? Well, I had an interesting uh, case. There's a retailer in Dallas that carries one of our cigars because his customer requests it. So he orders boxes every couple months. And then so I went and I talked to him. I was like, hey, what would it take to get the rest of our line in your humidor? And he's just like, you know, I don't build brands. It's like, that's not my cup of tea. It's like, well, that's fine. So then we had a really instead of just like taking that, uh, Oh, I, uh, that rejection, you, mm -hmm. you take it positive and you just like took it all the positive out of it. And so then we had conversations of like what he thought it would take to build a brand, how he would build a brand. And so then, uh, and then we kind of, I talked some of our talking points with the selling that we have our cigars, like our cryptid cigar. I divide, I developed that to where we have it in a 10 count box because of shelf space. I mean, our humidor at Stogie's is packed. But, you know, it's a lot easier to get a 10-count box in a humor than it is a 20-count box. So that's why we have that cryptid in the 10-count box for to get easier to get into the shelf space in humidors. But then also, uh, online-wise, it's a easier price point for people to buy a whole box in is a 20-count box. So that 10-count box, we've just been selling like hotcakes. So that's kind of just like a little pricing strategy that we've had there. But... Uh, how does it work with people that aren't really sure if they want to bring us in? Um, we just ask for a shot, try the cigars out, you know, just talk about how we do our fulfillment, what our turnaround is. You know, we have our inventory on hand. You don't have that, uh, that real big time gap that you do with some other people where it could take six months to a year before you get that product on your shelf. So that's just where our strategies are is just being able to fulfill right away and then having a quality product. Awesome. Yeah. I wish like more retailers, like I said, would, you know, at least you can almost build a, a, a part of your humidor out for products that you want to try. And I know that there have been some retailers who've had success with that, where a part of their humidors is devoted to new products and they just see how it goes. And then they decide, you know, from that little experiment, whether they're going to bring it in and how much they're going to reorder. Um, it just gives people, I think, because, I'm sure like, like, you know, your cigars are just as good as anyone else's. So, you know, why not? I think the whole thing is just get somebody to try it and go outside of their comfort zone and go outside of the brands that they typically smoke. And I know that that's, that's a hurdle within itself. Well, and if you look at it, if you're like watching the market, um, we have a really big influx of new cigar smokers. And that mm -hmm. really happened with COVID and people wanting to like be able to enjoy themselves when they couldn't go out and do stuff. And the people started picking up cigars a lot more. And so a lot of those are people that are on social media and they want to try something new. I mean, they just don't want to go out and smoke that cigar they've smoked their whole life. And there's nothing wrong if you enjoy something and you want to stick to it, stick to it. But if you want to try something new, there's a lot of great boutique cigar brands 
they're coming out with a lot of great cigars and it's just uh there's i guess that aspect of it yeah definitely um i'm curious i, I don't usually ask this question of most people on the, on the show but if you hadn't gone this this path with big sky like what do you think you would have been you, you would be doing like right now like what does you know in the multi-universe out there what does brandon marsh you know who decided uh you know i'm not going to do my own cigar brand was what is his life like well i know that i i didn't want to stay in pipeline construction i wanted to find a job that i felt like i could do for the rest of my life you know like and some people are just like so what if you get big sky so big and you can sell it for 73 and a half million dollars like alec bradley and i was just like well you know what that would be hard be hard to say no to but at the same time like i've i've always felt like cigars and like the shop is something that i could do till the day that i die and uh so that was a really uh uh, drove me into like being even more passionate about it is like, you know, this is, this is my long game. Um, but if I was to be doing something else, I mean, I'd just be back home with family on the ranch and I'd be, <laughs> I have, I had some cows and so I'd probably just keep building my herd and just doing that just simple life. <laughs> so whenever someone says simple life, uh, now I think about Pierce Hilton and, and Nicole Ritchie. So Oh yeah, I, I know that's not uh, obviously what, what you would be doing, but um, at this point in the show, I typically like to wrap up this part of the interview with two questions. The first of that of those questions is, um, do you have a philosophy that you live by? Oh, uh, I got a dog here that keeps on coming over here getting petted. I'll show you. <laughs> <laughs> Um, I'm just really big on, uh, being good to people and, you know, I just, I feel just like having good experiences, being good to people, being a good person, you know, whatever that means to some people, some people have different views there, but, uh, just if it's morally right and morally wrong, that's just, if it's wrong, then I don't want to do it. So mm -hmm. I just try to always make something that do stuff so where I can go to sleep at night. And I, you know, I've, I've made some mistakes in, in my life and where I've been like, oh man, I really regret doing that. And I stay up at night. And was, so then you learn from that and you learn not to make those mistakes anymore. So that way you, you can sleep well at night. So really, I just want to be able to go to bed at night and have a good night's sleep and <laughs> make decisions that keep me going down that path. So I think that leads into the, the last question for the interview, which is, I want you to finish the sentence. Brandon Marsh is. Um, I don't know. Just a normal guy. <laughs> I, I don't I just grew up, uh, grew up working, working my hands and working hard and just saving money and built a business and I'm chasing a dream. So maybe you could say Brandon Marsh is chasing a dream. So we'll just see where that dream takes me. Awesome. Well, I'm sure like a year from now and two years from now, we'll look back at this interview and you'll be like, things are so much simpler back then. Now, you know, Big Sky is 
you know, in all 50 states, it's, you know, it's, it has an international distribution and all the stuff. And, you know, it'll be a, a completely different ball game. So I'm sure you'll scale appropriately, like you'll scale to the point where you can handle it. But you're, you'll look back at these times, like the early days, and you'll be like, you know, there'll be some nostalgia that you're like, wow, things are so much simpler back then. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, I'm, I'm sure they will. I'm sure we will look back and say that. But, you know, it's all part of the grind and it's all part of the story. And mm -hmm. that's what I really love is just the people that the retailers that have given me a shot and they're a part of the story. And I, I feel like they're good friends of mine. You know, like last, PC, last PCA, I met uh, Phil and Cindy and uh, their crew from Jamestown, uh, California, and we just clicked. Right. And so then I went out for an event this spring and ended up doing three events on that California trip. But it was just like, you know, you're hanging out with your friends. You're having a good time. And so that's what I really like is building these relationships with people. And um, hopefully that's, you know, that's just what I'm going to keep doing. And I just want to keep building those relationships and we'll see, see where it goes. Now, for those people who are not watching this and they might be just listening to the audio um, version, can you tell people like all the social media they need to follow, um, websites they need to go to, and like just where in general they can find Big Sky? So where to find us on our website, we have bigskycigar.com and we have a locations page. And that will show you that, uh, I try to keep that up to date as best as possible when we add new retail locations um, who's carrying our product. And so you can look on there, you can see uh, who's got it. It's a pretty cool uh, interactive map. It's just a Google map format. But then as far as social media goes, uh, it's just Big Sky Cigar. And that's a singular B-I-G-S-K-Y-C-I-G-A-R. And that's on Instagram and Facebook. And then we're also on LinkedIn. Great. I want to thank you for coming on today and, and sharing your story with us. And I look forward to seeing you at PCA uh, in a couple of weeks. And, and for those of you who are watching, uh, if you are on our YouTube channel or Instagram, there are going to be a little bit more kind of like bonus content with Brandon that we're getting ready to do. That will be in a separate video. Uh, he'll be answering a viewer question and he'll also be answering a question from one of our previous guests who have asked him a question. So there'll be lots more uh, of Brandon kind of on the Deep Cuts Live channel uh, to see. And if you miss any part of this interview or you want to see all the other 128 or 29 episodes, you can do so at uh, youtube.com slash deepcutslive or deepcutslive.com.